Hello, I'm Jude. And I'm Sammy. And this is the Past Imperfect podcast. The alchemy of transforming trauma. (laughs) And here we are. And this is our first live one, actually, for a number of months, isn't it, Jude? Yeah, we haven't recorded since February and it's now October. And I'm really excited. I'm really glad. I realise again that I have soft down voice today, but I'm actually secretly (laughs) really excited. Me too, because um, we've obviously been um, putting some content out recently, but those were episodes that we recorded earlier this year, as we've already said. So this is the first time we're actually kind of back. I would like to say that we're in the room together. We're not because we're on Zoom. So apologies for any sound issues or bangings and things like that. We're, we're, uh, we're still working up to the day when we have our own little studio and we can get together and <laughs> do it properly in person. But yeah. Um, yeah, we're Zooming. So here we are. And how are you, Sammy? Oof. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, Jude, um, going through a lot of stuff at the moment in terms of like lots of transitional things happening, as I'm, I think that's the case for so many of us right now. We're coming to towards the end of the year, and um, it's been a hell of a year, I think, for all of us. I've just recently gone back to full time work. That's a massive transition. Um, because of the things that are happening in the world right now, I think there is inherently quite a lot of division that, that is present. And I'm feeling that um, in certain places in my life in a big way, which I'm, I'm sort of in acceptance with, but also finding quite painful. So I think my, my general demeanor at the moment is like, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there, <laughs> but I'm still here and I'm grateful for all the very amazing things that I do have in my life. So I certainly, I'm in a privileged position in many ways, but I'm feeling quite sad about a lot of stuff. That's the honest truth. Yeah, I hear you. Sorry. What I notice about you, Sammy, is that even in those times, you continue to create things and make things and be present with things. Well, I suppose part of the reason why we're making this podcast or, you know, certainly from my perspective is about that there is a lot of opportunity for healing both within oneself and others that may, you know, happen upon whatever it is that people are sharing. And so when we're being really honest and vulnerable about our, not about wallowing in our self-pity or our pain, but sharing about our, um, how, how we're kind of moving through things that that can afford opportunity for at least discussion but can maybe other people can resonate that they're not the only person that is perhaps feeling a bit shit right now or whatever and and there is some healing in that I don't know maybe not but anyway I just think it's important and that's to just be honest (laughs) yep good that's what we're doing and how are you Jude well I'm fine It's funny, I have had a lot of work. Um, And some of it's been um, taking a lot of mental energy to do. It doesn't feel like my work in the world yet. This feels more like my work in the world. And this feels easy and flowing. But I've had some work that I'm very grateful for that I've been doing. And now uh, that work is finished. And as often happens after a big, intense out of intensity because it's intense I was doing a job in German had a lot of prep a lot of fear of like is it going to be okay you know I know it's going to be okay but I don't know at the time and I've got to go through that 
But once it's over, I often have this crash and it's very normal after a big workshop. I have a, have a kind of, it's, it's documented, you know, people, especially performers do it, have a crash. So I've had a crash, but it's a very mild, everything's kind of mild. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm not really hugely connected with passion and excitement in the world, although I'm excited about doing this. So, but until we're actually doing it, I can't kind of connect with that. And what's ha- what's also happening alongside that is that I'm doing a lot of work on kind of, I, again, I hesitate to say it, but in a, in a child work, because I find that so difficult, but I'm doing reading on inner child work and I'm doing my weekly meetings and two weekly, week, weekly meetings on 12 steps and coming up again and again against this thing that it's normal for people who haven't yet learned to feel their feelings properly to not feel connected to the world, because how would you? Because you do that through feelings. And if your feelings feel too frightening, then you don't feel them and therefore you feel disconnected. And it's just, it's kind of like maths. It's just how it works. But yeah, I'm realizing that it's important. Oh, I'm gonna babble, but just bear with me. I had this little realization the other day because I've struggled a bit over the last couple of weeks emotionally with internally not with really with external things but with internally and I had this realization that the 12-step work and all the work I've done up to this point has really helped me in that do you remember that experiment that experiment it might be an urban myth about students in the 70s putting um, LSD in the water in a water dispenser in a college canteen and then everybody who took a drink would get a big hit of acid and then the world would fall apart, obviously, because, you know, if they've, there would be no way of dosing it, you know, you might get a massive hit and, and you'd be walking along and all of a sudden with no explanation, no reason, the walls would start to melt or you'd start to feel weird or, you know, you might not be able to walk or whatever. And I remember the first time I heard about this and I was like, oh, that's really funny. And then I've been thinking about it. Oh my God, that's not funny at all. Really traumatic for those really people. Really traumatic. And what it made me realize is until becoming more conscious of what the patterns are underneath internally inside of me that make me perceive the world as I do, it's been like that. It's been like that rea- whatever reality is outside of me is my reality. And whatever, whatever I'm perceiving and feeling or reacting to emotionally is true. And through the steps work and through the lots, I mean, I can't even list the, the number of different kinds of work, but especially through the steps work, I'm realizing that it's all right, this is just a trip. There's a reason for this. You ingested something, it will pass. And it's a bit like the patterns come back up and they're active. And I just have to know, like I would if I was taking psychedelics, we breathe, we ground, we feel. We have to go through it. We can't just snap out of it. Hmm. just got to I can snap out of it sometimes but usually it's by denial but basically I've got to breathe through it and go through it and experience it and then at some point it will pass and I will have done some work and I'll feel better and I'll feel the kind of better that I couldn't have imagined before yeah so it's given me a real perspective on when these moments like you said it's been a tough time recently it's a lot going on there's a lot of transition for a lot of people and the number of people I hear weekly saying, oh, I'm having a really tough time. And, oh, I don't know why. And oh, it's just, I don't know, it's up in the air. 
I think it's definitely in the air and it's like a kind of frequency thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's fuck where we could, well, I don't know if we should even open up that kind of worms in terms of what's happening out in the external right now. It feels overwhelming to me at times. But I mean, what sort of bringing it back to your 12 step work. See, we did an episode about that, which we released a couple of weeks ago, but that was recorded earlier in the year when you were just embarking on that journey. Um, sort of, can I ask which step are you up to now and how is all that going? I'm on step 10, but oh, wow. because I haven't finished step nine yet. I haven't done a lot of the amends. I certainly haven't communicated. I've written some, but I haven't communicated all of them. You know, I've have in fact spoken to you and and made amends, but not in a oh, I'm part of a progress. This is what I don't like about it. I'm part of a program. <laughs> the program tells me it's a bit like a non-apology for me. <laughs> if you say that I didn't even realize that that had happened but I mean obviously we just talk we just talk we just as far as I'm concerned yeah yeah I think a genuine apology for me is what that's about what they call the, the terminology in 12 steps is to make an amends but it's basically a, a genuine heartfelt apology for something that I can own that I've done and I haven't done it when you and I have talked I haven't thought hey I'm making an amends to say <laughs> it's like when there's something to apologize for I feel the need to apologize for it and talk through it with you and and with other people too. But there's a, there are people who aren't in my life right now. Yeah. That I need to apologize to. And and, and there's a whole choice about whether you whether you do that in person and whether that's in fact it's it's a bit of a dichotomy, whether that's kind to the other person or not. I know it's an absolute minefield a minefield but it's an interesting one and we will do another episode on the 12 steps so we can go into that in more detail yeah. then. and I reckon I'll, I'll we might do that when I'm either either very close or on step 12 and then oh yeah that would be great I would love that and I'm particularly interested in exploring that thing about sort of making amends there is one person in particular in my life that I really definitely seriously need to make amends to and I've done a terrible job of apologizing in the past for what I did which was really wrong and it's funny I was actually thinking about it only this morning and going oh god I wonder if I could reach out again and apologize again and try and do a better job of it and then going but that's just so selfish like that's just me wanting myself to feel better like that person's moved on they're not interested like they've closed the door and it, it, something that's coming up for me at the moment is about you know when somebody closes the door on you like you kind of have to wait for them to open the door again is it okay to knock on that door and ask them to open it or I don't know like I've had a, a recent situation with somebody that I really loved and cared about who essentially has closed the door on me because I put a boundary in place and they're obviously hurting and they close the door on me and I'm devastated and there's a part of me that wants to run after them and ask them to open the door and let me come back in but at the same time I've been doing a lot of you know watching a lot of videos around you know I guess in some ways that's a kind of like if someone's giving you a silent treatment, you know, do that's that's the, the part of me that's in pain that wants to kind of make it right and wants it to fix it and make it all okay. And sort of recognizing that that's something that's happening and going, okay, well, if somebody's closed the door, firstly, have they closed it with good reason? Like, have I done something that I need to feel that I do need to make a, an amend for? Or is that person actually punishing me for something that they can't handle within themselves? And um, knowing, trying to sort of unpick and know the difference. Yeah. it's never easy is it and similarly I'm in that situation as well with somebody that I love very dearly and I could see from their behavior that they are 
not happy with me and uh, angry with me, but they aren't able to communicate that. So everything's very polite and very jolly, but very distant. And I've tried to communicate and tried to ask. And I, when I do ask, the, the questions are just not answered. And so I really, it's taken me about four or five months to accept. And I'm still in the process of accepting that I just have to let them go. Yeah, and I can't. Yeah, I can't expect them to explain themselves, because what I want to do is fix them, because they're obviously mad and they're hurting, as in angry, mad. Not, I'm not calling them crazy for not wanting to speak to me, and it's a massive trigger for me, because you know, a number of really important people in my life have turned their backs on me, um, at different stages, and I, I kind of hold on to the pain of that, even though the situation isn't still active. And so when somebody else that I've loved dearly does it even though I can see hundreds of things that I was selfish and self-centered and, and unhelpful about, it seems that what's triggered this distance is none of those things. It's something else. And I, I can guess at it, but I don't know what it is. I'm desperate to find out. And, you know, I catch myself thinking, well, you know, I know some, we know some people in common. I could ask them. I could just say, what's going on with this person? I just think, how would I feel if somebody did that? And, and what's so hard to just accept? They don't want me in their life right now. And that might mean that they, I'm never in their life again. And I'm heartbroken about that, but I have to let it go. Bloody painful, isn't it? Oh, yeah. oh this wow. is a jolly thing. Can I, can I <laughs> before we move on, because we have actually got a topic for this. <laughs> can I tell you about something positive? That yes, please yes. do. Good. Um, I'm currently doing inner child work because I don't want to do it and because it's really important and because all of this revulsion that comes up in me when I think about it. And I'm reading a book called Homecoming by John Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. And I'm still only on the bit where he's introducing things that I think I know already, but it's about the relationship to the inner child and why it's important. And, and I haven't got to the practical bit yet. And I'm reading a little bit every night before I go to bed, even if it's just a short chapter. And I read this, you know, a, short, a couple of short chapters the other day and I went to sleep. And there's partly intention in that, like I do some processing while I sleep. I'll take that to bed with me, I'll see. And I dreamt among other things, about being in this big room and there was this snake in there and it was bright purple and it was dangerous as fuck and it was going to bite me and it could have killed me. And I also had um, a very pretty kind of Labrador retriever puppy, which was my puppy and I loved it very dearly. And I left the puppy in the room with the snake, basically to deal with the snake. And when I woke up, I woke up at like three in the morning and I was sitting up and I couldn't go back to sleep. But it wasn't worry, it was just kind of marvel of like, that's what I do to my inner child. That's what I do to the vulnerable parts of myself where they say, I'm scared now. And I hear that through physical manifestations or through constriction in my body or through thoughts. I hear basically it's a part of my inner universe, a vulnerable part of me, a very young and vulnerable part of me saying, I'm scared, I don't wanna do this. And I go, you fucking deal with it, get out there. And that could be, you know, sexual contact with people that when I when I don't want to, and I just think, yeah, do you know what? You kind of want to do this, so just bloody well do it. 
or you know situations where I'm with somebody where somebody in my life is behaving in a way that I find really difficult or that's abusive and historically I've just gone back or when there's part of me just going I don't want to do that and I go well we're fucking well doing it that's what I'm doing I'm leaving this vulnerable small part of me that doesn't know what's going on to deal with something dangerous and difficult and I don't know I just feel amazed by that and I feel like I can engage with inner child work in a different way because I see that my tenderness towards an animal in my real life I think well I would never do that but in my unconscious I'm I'm doing it all the time so anyway I'm rambling but that for me was really powerful And, and it's really powerful to hear you sort of share that you know for me that is incredible insight and uh well, yeah I can I can sort of notice when I when I do it to myself as well and I have done many many times when I think about the sort of really ridiculously dangerous situations that I've put myself in over the years there's literally klaxons going off there's going on. and I'm just like okay well I'm just I'm sure I'll be okay I'm just gonna ignore all of that stuff <laughs> you know, signs flashing and I just carry on um and a lot of that is to do with not even recognizing really or we've been so disconnected from our instincts and feeling what's in our bodies to even fucking tune into it well yeah. god i've made some serious progress because i'm now getting much better at removing myself sooner <laughs> i can feel there's progress i actually was communicating this to a friend yesterday um dear friend of mine but we got into some uh got into some kind of quite heated discussion about something and she was kind of moaning at me because she said you're always banging on about narcissism and you're always banging on about this that and the other and and I was like look you know I might sort of repeat certain patterns in my life etc but you know I am making progress like there, there is a there is um a progression in that you know these days I mean, not that I'm sort of particularly experiencing that right now but you know that that I can see through my journey in my life that when I'm when I'm noticing stuff now I am sort of responding to it and and the way that I'm responding to it is by taking personal radical responsibility for how I'm showing up in the world so I'm trying not to blame stuff on the outside for my life experience but bring it back to myself in different in different ways at the moment I'm actually doing something really fascinating it does actually kind of tie in with the subject matter which is we're going to get onto in a minute but I'm educating myself about common law at the moment and I went to do um some training the other day and, and common law is ultimately about practicing sovereignty and um sovereign living a sovereign life and living under the, the the kind of umbrella of common law is is basically do no harm cause no loss or injury to another person and accept liability for any wrongdoings but only if they are actual genuine wrongdoings i.e you've harmed somebody or you've injured them in some way yeah and so um it's it kind of ties in with this whole thing about taking responsibility when you are taking responsibility for how you live your life and you're not relying on things on the external to kind of either tell you how things are or dictate to you how you should be presenting yourself or whatever you know like for instance car insurance I'm not suggesting for one minute that people shouldn't have car insurance but the difference is is like if you have car insurance if anything ever happens while you're in your car you know that some some external company or whatever is going to pay the damages for whatever happens obviously your excess excluded but if you don't have insurance then you're going to drive your car a hell of a lot more carefully just because you have that knowledge that whatever does happen you are personally liable for that thing so when you become personally liable for everything that's in your life you actually just show up in a slightly different way the 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 emphasis is not on 
on, on the outside, it's on the inside and what you're bringing to any situation. And again, it applies to things like health. Um, again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a national health service. Of course we should. It's really important that we have somewhere that we feel like we can go that can support us if we get into sort of difficulties with our health. But quite often we rely on a pill or something else. Instead of like, you know, say like, for instance, we're getting you've got say you've got a fish in a goldfish bowl and the goldfish bowl the environment is toxic and it's dirty and that fish is becoming sick because it's in an environment which is toxic do you just give the fish some medicine to make it feel better or do you clean up the fish tanks so the environment is is healthier for that fish to thrive in you know so when we're putting junk food in our bodies when we're drinking when we're smoking the environment that we are existing in is a toxic one and of course we're going to get sick but do we take responsibility for cleaning up our habits in our life or do we just keep taking pills that the doctors are giving us we're not taking that personal radical responsibility for our own health and so when we have these things on the outside that we become dependent on and that we're relying upon um because we think that's going to solve our issue instead of actually going inside and resolving the issue on the inside we are expecting something on the outside to kind of make it okay for us. And so it's about taking that personal radical responsibility and that applies to everything that's yeah. showing up in our life, which is on some level toxic or harmful for us, relationships included. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I don't know if that is relevant to what we're talking about, but it feels like it is to me. It's very What's relevant. your thoughts? And we're gonna get onto it because we all of this links in. So we're, we're gonna talk about victim blaming today. Yes. And one of the things I want to talk about is the difference between, if there is one, between victim blaming and gaslighting. Yeah. And systemic victim blaming, which is something I've been thinking about. How about you? Well, I guess I've been looking at it from my own perspective, which is all about, you know, just that thing of taking real radical responsibility for our lives and what we're, how we're, how we're showing up and what we're expecting from the outside to kind of save us in some way and how we perceive, um, you know, just sort of have a conversation about the thing of like, you know, certain people who put themselves out there, well, who don't put themselves out there, who are out there doing incredible works, in my opinion, of healing people who are sometimes accused of victim blaming people like Byron Katie or Melanie Tonya Evans you know they they are asking people or inviting people to kind of look within themselves as to why they might be playing out patterns in their lives and take responsibility for healing that stuff but quite yeah. often those people are accused of blaming the victims for what's happening to them so um, a conversation around that I think is quite interesting. Yeah absolutely and you, you made me think about something about I, I have definitely been around people who um if I have an issue or a problem, we'll say, well, look inside yourself. That's your problem. And that, that, so there's a question and maybe it's in the tone. Is it, um, is that victim blaming or is it calling me on my shit? And, and there's something coming up for me about, I get to take responsibility, not blame for my yeah. shit. And I get, I can say to somebody, is there anywhere there's responsibility for all of us in all of it, but it's different to the communication that says, well, if you're feeling bad, Sammy, that's your shit. It's nothing to do with me or this interaction. Right. That's just your shit. And I, I'm doing good finger pointing here that you can't see because it's a podcast, but that's your <laughs> shit and you deal with it and I'm not having anything to do with it. That to me is victim blaming and or gaslighting. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of spiritual bypassing, isn't it? 
you know, like if an issue comes up between two people, it's, yeah, it's all very well to say, well, your perception of me is just a reflection of you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's like, how do we unpick this stuff? And ah, yeah, it's a bloody minefield, isn't it, Jude? <laughs> There's an author called Gay Hendricks and his take on it is, it's not, he doesn't talk about this as such, but he talks about when you have an argument with somebody, each person in a healthy relationship takes 100% of the responsibility for fixing that. Both people take 100. So there's 200% involved. Because if you and me take, well, 50%, or is it 60-40, or is it 60 <laughs> Then all of our energy goes on working out who was most responsible and who's most to blame. Whereas if I say, listen, if I want to fix this, I've got to take 100% of responsibility. Not 100% of blame. It's not about saying... I did everything wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's all my fault. Please forgive me. Because that also is, that's enmeshed and weird and, and, and messy. But to say, it's about owning something and saying, I fucked up, I messed up. How can we talk about it? Or how can we fix this? Yeah. Which I've, I, found, I find fascinating. And I don't think he's yet been accused of victim blaming for saying that. No. No, yeah. I mean, but that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Byron Katie's been accused of victim blaming quite a lot, and um, I think you're quite. I, I mean, I'm I'm really um, familiar with Byron Katie's work, but I haven't kind of engaged with it much in in recent years. I went through a phase of being completely obsessed with Byron Katie. Mm -hmm. But so, for instance, I've seen Byron Katie doing interviews with people. She does this process called the work. If you haven't come across it, and what is the work? It's four questions, isn't it? Is it you ask yourself about any situation where you're feeling emotionally distressed about something or it's very very structured and we are actually going to do a full episode on Byron Katie and is she a guru or is she for reals <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I um, guess the question yeah. is is it is, is this true is Do it I true? 100% know that it's completely true what yeah, I'm thinking the question is it a hundred can you be a hundred percent sure and the answer is pretty much always no to that even not yeah. always but almost always um how do you behave when you believe that it's true and how would you behave if you let go of the belief that that was true yeah and then you kind of explore what feels better in your body and also one of the big concepts I mean she's she got involved in Buddhism um later than doing the work I think later than coming up with this structure but it's all about being in the present so if I'm if I'm absolutely hooked on yeah but that person did something to me that is also true that can be true but I'm I'm in the moment now so in the moment now what's going on because I can't change the past and I can't alter the past but I can alter how I feel about it now and there's a massive discussion to be had about truth and denial and it's complex but isn't isn't also an aspect of it that thing of like turning the thought around so for instance if it's like he cheated on me as for example that's the yeah. thought and then you say well actually I cheated on me or yes. I cheated on him yeah he didn't cheat on me or whatever like you, you you've got to kind yeah. of explore the other versions of that thought or truth and that's where it can get really um what's the word provocative is it provocative or controversial for, for people especially when it's to do with abuse <laughs> and yeah especially yeah 
physical, sexual, especially, because, you know, I think because child sex abuse is so charged as a topic. Yeah. If you have somebody, a kind of comfortable looking woman saying to somebody, where were you responsible? And that's not how she words it. She says, I, I've, I listened to, there's a, the, I think it's in one of her main um, books. I listen to them as audiobooks because I love her voice. And um, I remember her asking somebody who was routinely abused by a parent or a very close, I think it was a parent, it was a father. What did you get out of it at the time? And she wasn't saying it was your fault. She was saying there may have been benefits. There must have been benefits to you. And I think that person chose to answer with, well, I, I got treats. I got kind of rewards basically for behaving like that. And on an adult child kind of child survival level, you got not to die because there's part of you as a child that believes that if you don't do what your caregiver, primary caregiver requires you to do, even if that's against every impulse for you, you will die. And that's why you do it. So yeah. that's not how the person answered the question, but that's also always in the background for me. What did I get out of it? I got not to die. I got to believe that I would be safer doing this than not doing it. Yeah. So I don't think that's blaming personally. But one thing I do, I would kind of on the Kate Byron Katie thread now, but one thing I do believe is that anybody who puts themselves out as somebody who does this kind of work with people or has answers or encourages people to find their own answers is going to be put on a pedestal. And then if they do anything that doesn't a hundred percent fit with what I think they ought to do as a person of this standing, then I can slam them and I can say that they're not okay, but everybody gets to be imperfect. Even the people we look to as gurus. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's, um, yeah, I don't really know what to say. I really, I am down with Byron Katie's work. I actually think it's really amazing. Um, and it is that thing of going, you're not responsible for what happens to you, but whatever traumas are left within you, you are the only person that can take any responsibility for, for, for dealing with that stuff yeah. that's been left within you. And that's kind of where the Melanie Tonya Evans stuff comes in because she's often accused of victim blaming because she is all about taking this personal radical responsibility for oneself and whatever is coming up for you in your life. And, and also that thing of, of, of going like, well, if you are in a, if you are in a situation that is abusive as an adult and you continue to stay in that situation, even when you recognize that there is abuse or even if it's just toxic dysfunction, whatever happening, then on some level, you are still co-creating that dynamic with that person and, and you have to take responsibility for doing that. No one is actually forcing you to do that unless they've literally got you chained in a room and you physically can't get out. And that is a really difficult thing for, I know I found that very difficult to accept initially when I was finding myself in these addictive and um, emotionally and psychologically toxic situations and sort of really feeling in, in the moment that I was very victimized but then having to sort of go through this really horrible waking up process of going well where was the perceived benefits like what the Byron Katie's talking about with the with the small child where was I where, where was the benefit for me and what was I also on some level getting for participating in that dynamic and that's that's the place where 
the healing is, isn't it? And that's where the liberation comes from. But it's it's really hard to kind of accept that within yourself, you've um, sold yourself out isn't the right word, but where you've allowed a certain level of, you know, for want of a better word, you know, like horrible things to happen to you in order for you to kind of receive some benefit. It's uh, It's not an easy thing to look at within oneself. It's not an easy thing to look at and it's full of charge. It's not about fault. It's about the only person who can deal with it is me. The only person who can come out of it is me. And again, massively charged when a woman's in a domestic abuse situation and that she fears that her life and the lives of her children may be at risk and they may genuinely be at risk if she leaves. It's still part of that dynamic. It's exactly the dynamic of being a child and being and knowing that you have to, that you may die if you don't cooperate with whatever is going on, because that's what survival is. So it's a, it's a reworking of that. And of course, it may it may be true, but still, is she more likely to die over time staying with this person? Or Oh, so, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this because I'm, I'm already thinking, God, if I were in this, this situation, I heard somebody saying this, I'd probably be livid. But at the same time, the sooner you can get away from the source of the trouble, even if that is a life-threatening risk to do it, the sooner you can deal with it because you can't deal with it in the situation. Yeah. And so, I mean, just on that note, there are, if, if you are in this situation, like firstly, bloody hell, like, hearts going completely out to anybody who is experiencing that um it's really careful you have to be so careful how you remove yourself from a physically dangerous relationship like please phone women's aid get in touch with refuge planet don't just disappear like you 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 have to have the support network around you to do that and there are charities in my understanding that can support that um can support that process and and you do have to be very careful and mindful how you do that absolutely um and it's really not an easy thing to do and um yeah it's not an easy thing to do it's It's not an easy thing to do I guess if you're in a in a situation which isn't physically threatening um in that sort of a way it's still really difficult to leave that sort of dynamic but you know the golden rule especially when you're dealing with any kind of narcissistic entanglement is, is, is about no contact. And the sooner that you can remove yourself energetically from that dynamic, the, 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 the sooner you can start to heal from it and move through in your life. And, oh God, this stuff is so not easy. But um, the, the first thing to say is like, nothing is ever actually your fault. And we need to move away from shaming and blaming anybody. And actually, I, I, even away from blaming and shaming abusers really I mean it's it's this is where I might be getting into tricky water but at the end of the day if somebody is like that and they've got that stuff going on for them it's interesting like somebody walked into me on the tube last night like as I was leaving home from work this guy like literally walked banged into me and then had a go at me for walking into me and um he wanted a fight with somebody he just wanted yeah. to fight with somebody and I refused to engage in the fight with him. I just, you know, I apologized to him. I'm like, I'm sorry, are you okay? And he was like sticking his finger up at me. I mean, he was being so antagonistic and aggressive. And I, I just, I mean, I don't know what, what was in me last night to sort of react this way because quite often I will get involved in the fight if someone's being rude and aggressive towards me, but I just kept smiling at him and saying to him, I'm just going to 
I'm only going to smile at you and I'm not going to get drawn into this. Like whatever's going on for you, I'm sorry. Like I'm always angry right now. Um, and I don't even know where I'm going with this. I don't know why I'm saying it, but yeah, I don't even know why I'm saying it. What I hear in that is that when you give energy to the fight, the fight grows like the fire. It's like giving oxygen to the fire. And when you remove your energy from the fight, the fire dies or it carries on burning somewhere else, but it doesn't carry on burning in you yeah. because you're not giving it that energy. And it's interesting. I was looking at the difference between gaslighting and victim blaming. And I, I landed on a TED talk by somebody called Ariel. Somebody, I'll put it in the Ariel Law, I think, or Leah. Um, she was talking about the four ways to deal with gaslighting and I wrote them down I can't remember where of course I wrote them down but the num number one I'm going to make a paper noise now number one was remain defiant which oh. I really liked remain defiant this is my truth and I'm holding on to it all of these things I need discussion but it was the second one don't look for accountability for the other person because you'll never get it. And no. that, this is the bit that connects with your, this guy wants a fight and wants to make you wrong. And if you try and set him right, well, you walked into me. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to take accountability. So the sanest, healthiest thing and the thing that lets you keep the energy in your body is to say, that's literally like pissing all of my energy, all of my life force away trying to... <laughs> I'm focusing on trying to convince this person that I'm right. Who's completely hell-bent on not seeing it the way that you want to see it because that's their way of getting their fuel from you. Um, and that's what and gaslighting is be, all about. Yeah, it might be that. It might be that it's an identity thing or it might be just in that moment they cannot, you know, it's often a pattern thing which mm. would make it somebody with a, with a disorder or somebody who's narcissistic or whatever, but it might just be in that moment for reasons nothing to do with you they can't hear it. And so trying to convince them to hear it is yeah. not. And that's part of things we have to get really comfortable at letting people have their version of their truth and knowing what ours is and being able to kind of really stand in that. And that's why, you know, sort of I'm grateful for the experiences that I have had of a narcissistic entanglement because where what it's taught me is like where I feel that need for that person to be accountable and to make I can only feel better if that person is recognizing where I'm at or, you know, I'm making them responsible for my happiness and my health and my well-being. And actually they might not have the capacity to, to be that. And quite often they don't. And actually it's not even their job to. And so once we get into that realization of going, I am responsible for what I'm feeling. If I'm feeling shit, if I'm feeling triggered, if I'm feeling whatever, I'm the only person that can actually ever really shift that feeling in me. And if I'm, if I'm reliant on that other person doing or being something in order for me to feel okay, then I'm always going to be at the mercy of that person's behavior. And so yeah. therefore I am making myself a victim of that person's behavior. So it's up to me to remove that need from that person and, and uh, take responsibility for my own emotional and physical and mental well-being, regardless of what that person is or isn't doing. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Um, 
can we talk about because we've talked about gaslighting before and what mm -hmm. i understand is that victim blaming and gaslighting are kind of similar victim blaming would be the overarching category and gaslighting is a way is is one of the kind of subcategories of, of victim blaming and because gaslighting is kind of about um denying somebody's reality and denying that their feelings are valid and denying that even their perceptions are valid yeah is that, is that fair yeah it's a distortion of someone's reality can can you talk any more about it from what a, about gaslighting yeah maybe even from a personal experience um, well, I guess, I mean, like there's different levels of this, isn't there? There's different levels of it. Like sometimes it's done consciously as a way to assert control over somebody, like as in with a narcissistic or a psychopathic. And again, it depends on whether that person is conscious of what they're doing or not. Quite often it's because of an inability within themselves to be, um, it, you know, what we have to understand about the narcissistic personality disorder thing is that ultimately it's a defense mechanism. It's a self-defense construct that has come in to protect that person from ever having to feel bad about anything and so the narcissism will always step in to deal with it in whatever way it feels appropriate so if that means denying you your reality because the, rea the, the reality according to the narcissist would damage their fragile sense of who they are then they're never going to accept what you're saying and they will always distort the reality from their point of view so they're not even necessarily doing it consciously they're just doing it because that's what they have to do in order to protect themselves. And that's why it can be such a mind fuck because again, you're just not dealing with a with a someone that has the same perspective as you and, and, and never can have the same perspective as you. So yeah. There's nothing and there's no, no reasoning that you can do with that. Then there's then there's also people who are doing it consciously to deliberately, uh, what's the word? Um, assert control over you. Um, as in, you know, I, I think some elements of our system do that. Some elements of religion can do that. You know, we are handing our authority over to an external power, God, whatever, who is judging us, who is monitoring us or, you know, to a, a government which wants us to behave in certain ways. And they will gaslight us about what the truth is and tell us we're wrong when we're, it, it, this is deep. It can go into all kinds of different places. But then there's completely innocent gaslighting, like, for instance, my daughter might say to me, I don't like that person. I feel uncomfortable with them. And because I don't want that person to feel upset, I can say, oh, don't be silly. That person's fine. Like, no, it's okay. Like I, I'm denying my daughter's reality by arguing with her about what she perceives to be true in that moment. But I'm not doing it because I want to assert control over her but obviously in my own head I want a situation to be okay and peaceful and harmonious so I I am negating her her feelings of uncomfortableness or oh, I used to do that in the past I don't do that now but that was something that I learned is where I'm gaslighting I'm denying someone's reality and their perception of a situation and we do it all the time we all do it and so it's like where is it in that I think the the term itself often has this connection with asserting control and part of that is because I have learned that it came from a film that was put out in 1944 yeah. Yeah. where the the male protagonist was um, bamboozling his wife the female protagonist by denying her reality and making it her fault and then all of his crimes or the things that he was doing he was denying her reality so that it became her fault and so that he could get away with it 
Well, it was actually even more than that. He wasn't just denying her reality. He was deliberately screwing with her noodle by doing things, <laughs> removing things like hide. So for instance, like hiding bits of jewelry and then she would look for them and then they would turn up somewhere else. And he'd be like, but I told you it was there. Like you're imagining stuff. Yeah. You know, it's kind of quite, a, that's, that's, that's the kind of more psychopathic, a deliberate distortion of someone's perception. So doing things that make that person feel confused telling them they're responsible for whatever is happening, even though you are deliberately sabotaging their reality and then telling them they're mad because they yeah. things are not as they seem. I mean, that's the very extreme end of gaslighting. Yeah. And, and, then, there, and then there's systemic gaslighting. Now, this is really interesting because neither you or I is uh, people of colour and we're not, we're women, but we're not in, I'm personally not in any minority group. I'm a middle-class white woman. I'm basically what my sibling would call cishet white woman. So I have experience of, of my reality be, of, of being a woman and feeling afraid or feeling uh, ignored, being denied. But I don't have a reality where the color of my skin and or my, what I look like, what I, my sexual preferences, my, my gender identity makes me my reality less important than other people's or um, being neurotypical. Somebody I know who's neurotypical had a, had a meltdown um, in a particular situation. I'm being very careful about the details because I haven't checked if it's okay to share it, but had a meltdown and there was this, an official person involved and that official person said, I'm going to, I'm going to chuck you out of here if you don't start behaving properly. And so his experience was, I'm in charge. You're not doing what I want you to do. I'm going to have you chuck you out. Their experience was, I'm having a meltdown because I'm overwhelmed. There's too much stimulus going on. I can't cope. I have to shut down because I'm, going to, I'm about to freak out. I'm freaking out, basically. And those two realities were never going to involve, except there was a power dynamic. So there's often a power dynamic in this. When we're talking about systemic racism, for example, or systemic judgment, one of the things I was listening to is a, is a, a black woman saying she, repeatedly, she might say, I experienced that as a microaggression, or even if you don't use that language, when you said this thing, I felt that my reality wasn't being taken seriously. And that's not my reality. My reality is something completely different. And this is what it is. And that would be completely denied. And that's just something she lives with day by day by day. And just as gaslighting, in that intentional way, hiding things and pretending that, you know, undermining the reality intentionally decimates self-esteem, makes you not sure if, if you're really believing the same thing. So does systemic racism and so does systemic denial of your reality as somebody who's neurotypical or transgender or has a disability and might get cross because I can't get into that fucking building. Well, we can't do this for everybody. We can't have no steps anywhere. That's both true and also denies the reality of that person going, I just want to go into this cafe. I don't want to have to be carried up the steps. You know. Yeah. So I've babbled now for a long time. But oh, it's okay. I've done my fair whack of babbling. <laughs> I'm just wondering, where are we up to time-wise? Probably we quite a long time because we spent about... <laughs> We spent a long time on our intro. So. <laughs> well, that's all right. I think it kind of it all ties in with the subject matter in some in some sort of a way. Let's hope so anyway. 
So I saw a little video this morning, which made me laugh. It's um, Key and Peel were doing a thing about racism in country music. And the reason I mention it is because it's a really good unintentional denial. Yeah. And he, the, the one guy brings the other guy down and he's singing country songs because he was brought up in Texas. And the other guy's going, man, that's really racist. He's completely denying the reality that what he's singing is racist. He just he just doesn't believe it. I think there's a lot of um, denial of other people's realities right now, just with everything that's going on in the world. I mean, you know, <laughs> this yeah. is just actually a really massive part of what's of what's going on. Like uh, at times, just a complete denial of the of facts that you can actually go and look at with your own. And it's actually to do with a lot. It's to do with cognitive dissonance isn't it? Because like when you have two different opposing bits of information that don't complement each other, um, then, and, and you kind of really attach to one of those beliefs being true. And then you're then presented with information that actually contradicts that information, but perhaps has um, things associated with it, which are really uncomfortable to look at, uncomfortable truth. Um, you know, it's much easier to just keep focusing on on the truth that you've already attached to which doesn't require you to have to kind of go through any emotional distress in order to look at it um i um don't know how you're going to feel about what i'm about to say but i'm going to say it anyway Ooh, gonna, go on. Yeah. for me personally i see that with the whole vaccination situation and where i where i'm drawn to as a reality that i want to live in is focusing on i have the right to choose and I have the right to hang out with people who choose something different without hating them. That's where I want to live. Um, me and, too. Because I think when there's clashing realities and then you add fear into the mix and we could go into where the fears all come from. <laughs> when there's fear in the mix as well, when there's literally fear for your life in the mix, then I might believe that somebody who thinks differently than me is putting me at risk. Or I might believe that somebody who thinks differently than me is being irresponsible or is being blind because it doesn't match my reality. And so where I'm choosing to focus as much as I can, and, and when I say I'm choosing to focus on the right to choose and the right to hang out with people who think differently than me as much as possible, that means that I swing from one extreme to the other and I go, yeah, everything's fine. And I go, no, it's not okay. And then I have to come somewhere in the middle because... Otherwise, I'd go completely mental. Yeah, well, I know, and that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? That's what cognitive dissonance does. It just sends you completely mental. Yeah, I'm like, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I have the same kind of viewpoint. I'm pro-choice. Whatever people want to do for themselves, I, I'm completely happy with that. If you want to get a vaccine, I wish you good health. If you don't want to get a vaccine, I wish you good health. You know, and I believe in that we and that we can that we should just be fucking cracking on as normal i hate all this division it feels really um that feels uncomfortable yeah um, and yet i suppose it's like when we look at where the fear comes from it's well i don't want to get into that thing of blaming anybody but you know i would say our media plays a really massive part in you know you know encouraging us to feel fearful of people who are making the opposite choice to us and that's where we have to bring it back to ourselves and go what do I think what do I feel and then just honor that for oneself and try not to let what anyone else is or is not doing dictate how I feel in my everyday life yeah and and I can already hear in my head a kind of devil's advocate voice that says yeah but what if what you feel is okay is 
is harming a child. Well, the whole point is what you started with is that common law is about do no harm. Mm. And then we get to this situation with the vaccine where some people believe that by making a certain choice, other people are doing harm. And it's possible that the opposite, for want of a better word, faction, believe that harm is being done. I mean, basically, we're talking about choosing to vaccinate or not to vaccinate, especially when children are involved because they're minors. They don't get to choose themselves, but they now do get to choose themselves because there's, the laws have changed. Gillick competency. Yeah. So there, there's this charge and there's emotion and there's fear involved. I have fear that if I'll speak only for myself because I, because this is me, I have fear that if that that if children are allowed to choose, you know, twelve years old peer pressure, I would have done what everybody else, whatever everybody else is doing. The majority will probably be being vaccinated unless my my particular background involved a, a different majority. The majority of people that I know outside of school don't do it and have reasons for that. So, yeah, basically fear makes everything more charged. But I keep having to ground and come back to everybody do what you want to do. I guess, I guess so. But then I'm now going to play devil's advocate again. And uh, okay, so if everybody just does what they want to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm down for that because that's like the whole thing of where I'm doing this common law kind of understanding is... Do no harm, take responsibility for yourself. But at the same time, if we do believe that a harm is being committed against somebody else and we don't do anything about it, it's that thing about, you know, when we were talking about the warnings the other week and we were going, do you warn people? Do we say something if we think something is out of kilter? Like, what do we do? How do we navigate this? If we don't say something, if we don't take an action, especially when it involves children, are we then complicit? in what is happening if we uh, where where are the lines to be drawn here now I don't have the answers I'm navigating this in my own life with my own children with other people that I see that have children around me I mean I'm not getting involved in anyone else's family decisions about what they do but I am firmly of the belief that we should absolutely not be giving a a drug or a a, a, a medical procedure to children who have when we have no long-term safety data to support whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or not whether it is a good thing or a bad thing I don't know but the evidence isn't there to tell me that it is an okay thing. And therefore for that reason alone, I don't feel like we should be putting anybody at risk, but again, you know, you can disagree or disagree with me, but if I, if I believe that there is actual harm going on and I don't do something, if I don't warn or if I don't speak about it, am I then complicit in that? So so it's a bloody minefield. It is a minefield, but if we were to apply the, um, some of the things we said last week, fundamentally you've got to make your own mind up, I think. But if we were to say, do you wait for somebody to ask? And if they ask, do you say, or do you just say, and then you've said, and then you walk away and you say, I'm not going to hold you down and, you know, physically stop you because that's not my right to do that. But I'm going to tell you what I think, and I'm going to tell you my opinion, and then I'm going to walk away and leave you to do whatever you need to do. But again, it's very difficult because I think, if I had kids right now, I'd pull them out of school. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have children. I think there's, that's a good thing for many, many reasons. Well, I think we might be coming to the end of this, this little episode. I'm not sure that we've gone too much into the whole victim blaming stuff, but we certainly had a good talk around it. And maybe there's another 
another episode on this subject within us. I think so. I think so. I think I haven't got anything else to say. I don't think I do. I think we've we've got a lot to sort of chomp over in my mind after that. (laughs) As always, we're two women. We don't have the answers to everything or we don't profess to do. We're just sharing where we're at on this day, in this moment. I'm always open to my mind being changed about things. I'm always in, I'm, I'm always processing new information and I don't believe that I'm right or st- stuck on anything. But yeah. um, that's this is where certainly where I'm at today and where I... Yeah. Me too. And um, on that note, do get in touch with us at pastimperfectpodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram or on Facebook. Do get in touch with us and let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about victim blaming, about Byron Katie, about anything we've talked about today. Fascinated to hear from people. And also, you know, if you want to disagree with us, if you felt, you know, that anything we've said today, you disagree with, whatever, like, please, we're up for a respectful debate and conversation about things. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all learning as we go along. But, yeah, I mean, good God, so, we have respectful dis- debate and discussion between us all the time, don't we? Yes. <laughs> so please, please do challenge us if you if you're kind of whatever affronted or or just interested to discuss further anything that we've we've raised in the episode. So yeah, on that note, it's time for us to say goodbye. So have a great week, and we look forward to the next one. See you soon. Bye.